Well, good afternoon again. Um, when he was a young man, uh, my dad was in the Merchant Navy. Uh, at the age of 16, he, he basically almost ran away to sea. I mean, his mum and dad knew where he was going, but he left Leeds, which is where he lived, and he went to Hull and signed on board a, a ship. And he spent the next, probably about the next 17 or 18 years uh, on, on ships, just working his way up. Uh, he ended up as a, a qualified uh, master, so he could actually be in charge of the ship. That's a technical expression. But uh, he never actually was in charge of ships. He was the navigator, he sailed all over the world. He always had lots of stories, of course. Uh, I don't know how many of them were exaggerated a little. I mean, he was an honest man, so, you know, they all had quite a lot of truth in them. But, you know, whether they were all, some of them seemed a bit dramatic to me, to be honest with you. So being described being shipwrecked in the Red Sea and, and being stuck on a, a reef for two weeks with the ship tilting over at about 20 degrees and them all sitting in the lifeboats getting ready to you know, lower it quickly in case the, the ship turned over. And, uh, and they told me about that he was in... He sailed into a port in Algeria when there was a revolution going on and so they had to basically, they just threw everything onto the quayside, turned around and left again sort of as quickly as they could while the shooting was going on in the background and all these kind of stories. He claimed he had a fire extinguisher dropped on his head and that's why he had a haircut like mine. Of course, now, now I've got to the age that I am, I realise that that wasn't true. That wasn't why he had a haircut like mine. That's just, that's just genetics. Um, and one thing he did was he had, he had uh, okay, now I'm talking to a, a certain generation when I say this, okay, he had a cine camera which he shot Super 8 film on. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, he had something like a camcorder that he shot uh, home movies on. Okay. And, and, he, and he did different things, shot, shot different movies. One of them was basically just in the middle of the North Atlantic, in the middle of a storm. And the ship's going up and down, and these waves coming across. And, you know. uh, even when you look at that, even if you're sitting in a comfortable chair at home and looking at it, you do feel a little bit queasy, <laughs> to be honest with you. You do feel a little bit like, hmm, I'll put the bacon sandwich aside for a moment. It's probably not a good idea at this point. You know, it was, it was pretty rough. Uh, and we often think, about troubles in our lives sometimes as being storms, don't we? We often think about uh, perhaps storms or we think about uh, being steered in certain ways. Again, another, another naval analogy. Uh, we've got a lot of those in the English language, I guess. And the Apostle Paul was certainly familiar with those kind of things. I mean, here's a guy who was shipwrecked himself, who said he'd spent... Uh, some time actually floating in the sea after, after his ship went down. Uh, and so you can see from the passage today, he uses that kind of analogy. And you know, I think any of you would know that if you've been on a ferry crossing or something where the weather is quite rough, it can be very disorientating or even, even scary sometimes to be in the, in, on the sea in rough weather. So we're going to keep that idea in our minds as we, as we talk about the passage today. But let me pray and then we can, we can dig on into it. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so glad that you've given us the opportunity to uh, spend some time thinking about your word. 
Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would just be really uh, fresh and really would uh, allow us to see things in this passage uh, that would really impact our own lives and would really give us a a better understanding of the idea of, of growing together as Christians. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Interesting. Uh, we'll ask for a bit of uh, moving on at the back and just see if we can get the. Yes, okay, there we go. We're working. Should we go backwards? Okay. So, um, we're going to spend our time today really thinking about four, um, four parts of this passage. One is the idea of Christians being gifts, the fact that we've all been given gifts to build up the church. What building up means, we're going to think a little bit about that. Um, we're going to look at how Paul's talking about the idea of, of growing together and uh, finally what that would actually look like. What does uh, a mature church look like that, that's grown up in this way? Now, very much linked in with the idea of what Ian was talking about last week of uh, unity. Uh, and I, I think it would be fair to say that you can apply sort of the principles in this passage both to ourselves as individuals and also to ourselves as a church, as a local church, uh, as a group. So, uh, we're going to have to just move this on in. Could you give that a, a flick? Thanks. So, uh, first of all, in terms of gifts, look back with me there in uh, verse 7. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So, so the, the gifts that we have are, are, are given to us by God and they're given to each one as an individual. Uh, that radical transformation that we've been talking about, that, that Ian mentioned, uh, comes about in part because different gifts are given to us and they're given to us as, as individuals. Uh, not so that we can be jealous of each other, um, not so that we can be competing with each other for attentions, or you've got this gift and I've got this gift, or anything like that. But so, as individuals, we can rejoice together in diversity. That quote there, if your Bible, it's probably got a little passage sort of inset there. That's Paul quoting from uh, Psalm 68, uh, verse 8. He's applying that to Christ. He actually just, if you, if uh, don't worry about it now but when you look back at that passage it just changes the words slightly just interpreting the original scripture uh, from 2,000 years ago slightly differently there uh, but again clearly applying it to Jesus remember any time you read in the Old Testament the question in part is going to be where is Jesus in this passage and Paul really does apply that apply that there and he goes off onto a bit of a verse 8 through to verse 10, we're not going to dwell on that. You know, Paul goes off, he's off on one of his little rabbit trails. He's like, oh, wow, I remember. I must just say this, it's really exciting. And then suddenly he gets to verse 11 and he's sort of like... <coughs> anyway, as I was saying, uh, back to where we were. Um, and, and his point here is that, that, that Christ equips his church through giving people different spiritual gifts. But then he sends them to specific local churches. So he, he equips them, but then he sends them to specific local churches. Uh, of course, we don't, we don't see that process. Uh, we don't see that process happening. We just see people um, coming to church. We see people coming to the church. You know, so, uh, 
we think to ourselves, ooh, isn't it nice that, that Andrew and Helen come to our church? Isn't it nice they decided to come to, come to us? And they're thinking to themselves, oh, it's really nice to come to that church. It's really happy and it's a nice church and, and we like going there. And, you know, it says this, we sing nice songs and, and we do nice things together and, and everybody's, everybody's very friendly and that sort of thing. And those are very good reasons. Those are very good reasons to be at a church and they're very exciting. And at one level, that is very much what is taking place. Uh, but on another level, Christ is saying, sorry for picking on you, Andrew, no, I'm just, uh, just do, you know, you're just there. Just, uh, on another level, Christ is saying, because I'm going to keep picking on you, by the way, so, on another level, Christ is saying, is saying, I've given these people these specific gifts, spiritual gifts, and I want them to be used at that church, at REC. I've given them those gifts, and they're going to use them there, at that church, at REC. We'll see why he wants to do that in a little while. But there's, you know, sometimes we don't always see things the way God sees things. He's seeing it in a different way. He, he is saying, okay, we're going to send these people here, and they're going to do something for us. Um, so do look out for people who come to a church, who come to a local church. Because that is God acting very deliberately to say those skills are going to be used in that church. Suddenly if you have half a dozen debt counsellors joining a church, you you can guarantee, I would suggest to you, that God wants you to start a debt counselling ministry. Okay, that's a bit of an extreme example, but you know, you get the point. The people who God sends will in part tell you the way in which God is taking, the, taking a particular church. Uh, but but uh, th- these people who Paul mentions here, you can say it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. I think that it would be fair to say that those are have been given for, for works of service it says there and, and so they're going to lead to a building up, we'll talk about that in a moment but I think it would be fair to say that did you realise the job titles for your leaders actually appear in, in scripture that these are job titles that could be given to people who are leaders in a church but having said that the work that they're doing is to prepare for work to prepare God's people for works of service so our leaders are people who will although yes they will do some of the work in that way and they will do some of the ministry work certainly primarily they're about equipping all of us to do works of service, they're equipping all of us to do ministries and, and, and some churches I think often fall into a trap where they have the expectation that the, the pastor or the minister or, or whatever title they go by, some of the titles here will do all the work, certainly all the ministry work that is not God's model for the church. That is not God's intention for the church. Why would he give everybody spiritual gifts 
if he didn't want them to, to use them. That, that makes no sense. Yeah, he gave us spiritual gifts because he wants us to use them. Uh, and he can only you know, do that if those gifts are spread around the congregation and, and we then go, go out and use them. Uh, if the minister does it all, that actually prevents us from using our gifts. That actually stops us from, from using our gifts. It becomes a case of saying... Uh, the, the expression spoon feeding, if you know what I mean. You know, I'm going to spoon feed you things, I'm going to do things for you. Um, because yes, you know, yeah, we hear, we learn by hearing, we learn by hearing the word of God, that is true. I want to suggest you we also learn by doing. We learn by doing the will of God, we learn by uh, using our gifts. And we mature as we do that. Our gifts are not something just for us, they're not for us as individuals. They're to be used to build up the church. And that lets us grow together. That lets us grow together. And and sort of that's the next major point. You know, here's the rub. Here's the point the point that we will get this experience, this experience that that Paul is talking about here. uh, the the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This maturity, this this building up, we, we will get it. We might experience it as individuals, but we'll only get it by by growing together in it corporately. We experience it together as we grow together. Uh, Ian was talking about unity last week. That growing actually brings us together in unity as well. It's not just a random growing. If you imagine it's sort of growing together into one, one point, into one whole, whole thing. Uh, sure, you know, at any point it's true that any, any, any of us are at different steps in that journey. We're all at different points in that maturity. maturity. Some of you would have seen the, uh, the steps diagram that we use here at church where you've got different, uh, you know, reflects the different steps we go through in our, in our Christian life. Um, well that really in one way is a is a picture of what Paul is talking about here this growing in maturity this growing as we as we move towards the, the fullness of Christ you know we, we, it's something we do we do together now you'll know uh, from experience that when we do things together like that it can be messy you know if you've ever tried to uh, cook on your own uh, as many of you have you know that it's a pretty uh, you're in control it's a fairly straightforward process I don't know if any of you tried cooking with like four or five people at sort of a, a, a sort of a, a making a, a bigger meal perhaps for a lot of people it gets messy I mean there's people like giving directions different places there's things boiling over there's things exploding in the background there's uh, you know knives flying around but it's messy it's difficult Um, because we're flawed you know we're we're imperfect we misunderstand each other we disagree at times we we hurt each other and and that is no different to to being in church and yet 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 we're called to work through that stuff to persevere to persevere together until we mature and meet Meet that whole measure that he's talking about there. 
Not half measure, not half full, not half empty. Whole measure, complete. But I'm, I'm very conscious here that I'm talking as, uh, as a Christian and sort of uh, talking to Christians. Let me, just, let me just take a moment. If you're a non-Christian here today, uh, does that sound strange to you? Does that sound, that idea of uh, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, does that sound a bit mysterious to you or does it sound attractive to you? Does it sound, uh, what does it sound? When I describe it, I hope that you can get a sense of, of a very valuable idea. I hope you get a sense of something that as we grow together we can obtain something that God has, has designed for us. I think many people, it would be fair to say, are in search of meaning in their lives. Asking the question, surely this is not all that life has for us. There was a man fitting a, a gas oven for us at the new house and he said, well, what do you do? You know, first question, what do you do? Uh, I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm an elder down at the church, which is always the first answer I'll, I'll give to people. And so, you know, you're never sure what, quite, what response you're giving. Like, oh, yeah. He was from, uh, he was from uh, Durham, somewhere, I think, up that way. Oh, yeah. Spitting away. In the gas fitting area. And he said, oh, I don't really, I don't really believe in, in that. Oh, okay. You know, what, what do you believe in? Uh, I believe in aliens. Okay. Uh, he took me a bit by surprise with that one, you know. What do you mean, something? Oh, I believe in aliens. I believe that uh, that we were visited by aliens, and we are visited by aliens. Okay, good. And you say that I've got a lot of faith, blimey. Um, so uh, anyway, we had a bit of banter about it. So I think people are looking for people are looking for for answers, and in some cases, finding some quite strange ones. Um, what God offers, what God offers to you if you're not a Christian is, is that idea, this fullness of Christ. It's a life filled to the whole measure. I think that's something that you would want. I don't feel that's something, I feel bad saying that to you. To me that sounds a lot more satisfying than some of the, than you might have been visited by aliens or, you know, we've got the election coming up, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, uh, political talk at the moment on the TV um, a lot of that to me sounds a little bit empty dare I say uh, there's a lot of commercials on the TV at the minute trying to uh, get my money and manipulate me in different ways um, this is no this fullness of Christ is no mere trinket it's no mere um, just, it's not, not something that is cheap in any way this is something that is incredibly Valuable. This is a deep down, soul filling, soul filling, fulfilment. And to experience that, we we need to. Jesus said, Jesus said, we need to be born again. In the Gospel of John, in John uh, chapter three, verse three, Jesus said to someone who was asking the question, "I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again." That sounds a bit mysterious, doesn't it? Uh, we're born again when we realise that we need to live a life differently to the life perhaps we were living. 
When we turn our life away from relying on ourselves to relying on God, from pursuing our own desires to pursuing our own sins, when we turn away from that and pursue God's agenda for our life, when when we think about him as the Son of God, as the one who died and rose from the dead to save us, when we couldn't save ourselves, that is when we become born again. That's when we start this journey Paul's talking about. This journey towards maturity. This journey towards um, being built up together. Yes, that journey comes with a cost. Any journey comes with a cost. I found that out last weekend when I went to Marseille. I mean, any journey comes with a cost. But, but any journey comes with a cost. This can be a very high cost. But the destination is so worth it. It is of far greater value than anything we can imagine. Does that sound weird or off-putting? Our 21st century society, I think, we have become very individualistic. We don't like to, to let anyone in. We don't want to admit to our own weaknesses. We've got our pride, you know. Growing by joining one-on-one in this, in this effort is, is something that, that is quite alien to us. And yet God's design is to experience a radical change in our lives and experience it together as a group of people. If you're not a Christian here today, I would love to talk to you more about that. I would love, uh, I'm sure the Christian friend who you perhaps came with would love to talk to you about that idea. Well, what does it look like? What does it look like, this, this life that we've been built up together into? Well, it certainly is a process and it doesn't happen overnight. Did you notice there the word until? Uh, I think that word until gives us a sense of, yes, there's somewhere we're going to, but it's not going to happen straight away. It's not going to happen overnight. We're going to, we're going to work on this, we're going to use these gifts, we're going to build ourselves up until we reach unity in the faith. Uh, I don't think all the words here on the page can actually capture uh, the full reality. The, the word, there are words here like fullness and maturity uh, in every respect. Uh, you know, it, this is a, a, a radical concept Paul is trying to get across. Uh, he says you know, that we will all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, what does all that, that mean? And, and for me, when I was studying this passage, uh, the phrase, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, was something that puzzled me a little bit. I think it was a, a, a phrase I found quite challenging. I think what Paul is getting at is, is, that, is that this is about becoming the person that Christ wants us to be. It's about having a number of things in common with Christ when we get to that point. Not, not in the way because he's perfect, you know, we have them imperfectly. But that we would, we would live as a person who uh, would live a life that was contented because it is blessed. Jesus talks about 
on the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the dot, 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 and talks about different things. We would have a life that was abundant, a life that was, had deep joy and, and celebration and, and an intimate relationship with our God. This is described in different passages, in different ways, as I said, the Sermon on the Mount. But the phrase here, the fullness of Christ, I think that's kind of what he's getting to. Something which describes perhaps attributes of Christ that we're all going to get to share in. What are we moving towards then? I mean, okay, it's a mature Christian life. Um, there's a few clues in the passage, actually, as to what it might look like. Um, we're not going to be easily swayed. You go back to the idea of the, the ship moving backwards and forwards in the ocean. But that actually said at one point that there was, uh, he was walking down a corridor after a particularly bad storm and he could see footprints on the floor of the corridor where one of the engineers had walked back from the engine room. And he said he could see the footsteps going down the corridor and then they went up one wall and then they came down off that one wall, went along the floor and went, then they went up the other wall and came down the wall. Because what had happened is that the ship had gone over so far that it was easier to walk on the wall than on the floor. And he'd gone down, he'd come back, he's walking on the floor, he goes the other way and he walks up the wall. That's rough. I mean, that is rough weather. That is really enduring a storm. But in those storms, we are not going to be easily swayed. When deceivers come, we are not going to be, we're going to be mature enough to spot them. And whether you're talking individually or as a group of believers, we won't be the people having to walk up the walls. We'll know where we are, we'll solid, we'll have our feet planted firmly on the deck. It's probably as far as I can take that analogy. Um, but although we are at times going to be surrounded by people like that, we're going to be surrounded by the, the phrase there, uh, deceitful schemers. You know, there's a lot of folks out there who want to mislead us. There's a lot of folks, either very deliberately or perhaps not deliberately, who really want to take us down false paths. We have to be on our guard. But in, in, instead of having that attitude among ourselves, what we will do it says here is speak the truth in love to each other. Okay? Now just a little practical word about speaking the truth in love to each other. Speaking the truth in love with each other does not go up to someone and say brother, sister, I, I want to speak the truth in love to you and then give them a really good verbal kicking. Right? That is not really speaking the truth in love. Okay, it, it, it has, it, it is the truth, it is the whole truth, but hopefully it has some grace in there. Hopefully it has some compassion and care for the person you talk to. You know, you'll get a hint if this is becoming a feature in your life, because as you're walking to someone, if you see them putting a crash helmet on their head, you've probably been overplaying it in the last few weeks. Okay, so, so just bear in mind, yes, it's the truth, but with some compassion and some grace. Um, like my dad there, we're not going to be, you're not going to be disoriented. We're not going to be, as life throws things at us, uh, the old song says, will your anchor hold? Yeah, you know, we're going to be firm. It doesn't mean that events aren't going to be painful to us, far from it. It doesn't mean the events aren't going to be agonising at times, but our faith is going to be secure as we grow to maturity, as we work through those things. 
Um, we're not going to be chasing our tail, thinking about things spiritually. We're not going to be um, going nowhere. In, instead, we're going to be joined together with a group of people who are, are maturing together, going in a very particular direction as we're going towards this idea of being, uh, having the fullness, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, what else does it look like? Well, instead of some of the people doing good works in the whole church, everybody should be doing good works in the whole church. Everyone's going to be doing using our gifts. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily that you are doing some of the things you see going on at the moment. We have different ministries. We, we mentioned first steps earlier. We mentioned the, uh, we talked about the youth group, Ruth. Uh, we've got folks at the minute in Sunday school and in the creche and those kind of things. Um, it may be that your gifting is for something we don't do yet, that we should be doing. Don't be shy about coming forward and share that, sharing that with us. We, we would love to share that idea with you. Um, what else does it look like? It looks like completeness. It looks like, it looks like a, a solidness. You know, again, look at the words, every respect, whole measure, maturity, Unity. This is not a this is not a person who is uh, fragmented in any way. This is not a person who feels torn in any way. They are they are very much uh, complete. Uh, and if you're applying that to to the church and a group of people, again, you know, it's not flaky. It's not flaky in any way. This this has a solidity, a completeness, a maturity about it. Yes, you know, yeah. It's messy. As we said, church is messy and, and we as individuals experience trouble in our lives. Um, but these things will become less and less likely to shake our faith. We're more and more likely to have a, a God's perspective on, on these things. Andrew was, was praying about Nepal there. What a, what a great prayer. You know, We would write with compassion to the situations where God reacts with compassion. We, act, we react with anger when, to the kind of situations that God reacts with a righteous anger. We stand silent in situations where God would have stood silent, even when those around him were ridiculing him. And, and we become a body that gets built up in love, not built up through, through programs, through clever media campaigns, through endless training programs, this, this, this building up becomes a building up in, in love. And although it's messy and very non-linear, it is Christ and what he's done that keeps us on track. All, the, all that captivated theology in, verse, in chapters 1 to 3 that we, we talked about, understanding that, dwelling on that, contemplating that, keeps us on our track when we remember what God has done for us, when we remember who God is, that helps us moving in this direction towards maturity. Well, let's, look at, let's very briefly look at a few uh, practical applications of this. Uh, the, the process of maturity, you know, it's not a steady process. To be honest with you, some of our greatest gains towards maturity tend to come during or immediately after sort of great hardship and struggle. It's, that just seems to be the way in which God teaches us. 
were drawn closer to him and closer to each other in times of great trial, in times of great difficulty. But there are some things we might be able to do to aid the process. I think I've shared with you before um, a comment from one of my friends, his name is Stephen. Uh, He's seen some tough times. His his father died uh, very young. I want to say about the age of... uh, Stephen Stephen was about nine or ten years old when his dad died. This is a guy who has, to my knowledge, been hit by lightning twice. There's not many people who, who you know who have been hit by lightning twice. So when you say it doesn't, hit, it doesn't strike twice in the same place, it does. Okay. Um, he's been in an air emergency where uh, the undercarriage of the plane wouldn't come down and they had to have an emergency landing. Uh, he's, uh, he has been in a serious car crash where uh, his rather nice car, I have to say, was totally written off. He has, uh, he has shot a chicken with a spear gun, but that's not really a bad thing, that's just a strange thing. Um, things happened to Stephen. Okay, let's put it this way. Things happened to Stephen. And when he made this comment, he was only in his mid-twenties, for crying out loud. I mean, the guy had really done a lot of living. But his comment was this, was that he didn't want to have to learn what God wanted him to learn the hard way. He didn't want to have to learn what God wanted him to learn through trials and troubles. He wanted to pay attention to the Bible. He wanted to pay attention to the older saints around him who had already lived a lot of life and to learn the lessons from them so he didn't have to go through some of the stuff. I'm not sure it's working that well for him actually, but that's what he wanted to do anyway. That was his, that was his, uh, that was his idea. Um, so what can we do number one participate it's going to be very hard to build each other up if we're not actually together it's going to be very hard to build each other up if we're not investing in each other's lives the time here on a Sunday that is a good time and uh, it's an important time together but we have other things going on we need to spend time together in our gospel communities as we're praying with our, our brothers and sisters Uh, as we live our lives together. We don't just want to be a group of people who meet each other on a Sunday. How are we going to grow together if we can't, if we're not with each other? That just, that just, it'll take a long time if we only see each other an hour and a half on a Sunday. We need to spend time together in gospel communities, in different ministries, hanging out at each other's houses as we pray together. That will allow us to use our gifts to build each other up as individuals and as a church. Second point, staying to the obvious, uh, use our spiritual gifts. We've already talked about that. How are you going to use, how are you going to build the church up? You know, Paul says, use, use your gifts and it will build the church up and that will allow us to achieve unity and the fullness of Christ. It's it's a really good equation. It's a really, for those of you who are mathematicians, you know, or, or deal with logic, it's really straightforward, you know. Use the gifts, it builds the church up, we get to maturity, we achieve fullness of Christ. That's it. You know, it's just to help you there. That's what we've got to do. Um, And we talked about that a little bit um, already. Please, if you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, ask the people around you, okay? They they will have seen how you live your lives. They will be able to to give you some clues, some suggestions as to what those will be. Uh, and, and the third thing we can do is the flip side of that. Tell other people when you see them using their spiritual gifts. 
that will encourage them, that will encourage them to use them. They may not realise that it was a spiritual gift that they had. Um, what I've observed is that, is that people's spiritual gifts tend to be things that, that people don't really think about. They're, 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 they just take them for granted a little bit in one way. You say, oh, you know, I really, appreciate, really appreciated the, that talk you gave to the young people. You know, you've really got a, a gift for teaching. And they'll go, oh, it was nothing really. No, it wasn't nothing. It was you using a spiritual gift. It was you doing this. It was you doing what God asked you to do through Paul. It was you building up the church. It wasn't nothing. It may seem nothing to you because it comes easily. Why does it become easily? Because it's a gift from God. Yeah? Um, So again, please, if you see uh, people using their gifts, encourage them. Remember, encouragement itself is a spiritual gift again, that you may have. So they may come back at you and say, thanks very much for the encouragement. That's good, because they're then encouraging you, because you've encouraged them. And, okay, we've got a bit of a circular thing going on there. Move on. Um, fourth thing is to be aware of this process. We do, you know, be aware that this is going on. Try to see it as God sees it. Don't just see it as, um, uh, oh yeah, this is someone doing something. This is someone filling a slot in a rotor. Yeah, we have to have rotors, we have to be organised, or as close to organisation as we get. Um, you know, we have, to, we have to have those things, but it's more than that. This is people using their gifts to build up the church. You need to think about it in that way, see it in that way. And as we were saying earlier, speak the truth in love. Uh, speak graciously, yes, but you know, do tell people what you see. We're brothers and sisters. You know, we, we, we have been saved by a wonderful saviour. We have so much in common. Yeah, we shouldn't feel awkward or bad about saying, you know, brother, can I just say something I'm seeing in your life right now? I'd really like to talk with you about it and perhaps pray through it with you. You know, but whatever it is. I make a, a, a personal plea here, I think, just to wind up now. just want to make a personal plea to you. Speaking very, very personally about me. Will you grow together with me? I, I'd like to invite you to, to grow together with me. Will you come along with me, like in the good bits and in the bad bits as well? And, and will you build me up using your gifts? And will you allow me to build you up by using whatever gifts God has given me? Will you speak the truth in love to me? I, you know, I'm not saying this for whatever or flash now. You know, you know, you folks have my full and free permission to tell me what you see in my life. Do not, do not feel you have to hold back. Will you please not withdraw from me and hold yourself at a distance and be, be reserved, but instead will you come close so that I can invest in your life and you can invest in my life? I don't know exactly what that will look like. I don't know exactly what will happen with that. But I trust God's word here. I trust and believe that that will allow me to grow 
to become more mature, to allow me to move towards experiencing the fullness of Christ. And what I do believe is that there's no better way for us to spend our lives than to be doing that together. Let's pray.